the one thing that made me a better entrepreneur, most of all, and a better human is that I grew personally over those 18 years, that I that I am much more self-reflected than early in my career. And every time I, I hit a, a bump in the road, I learned something about myself. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. I think our guest today reps one of the most genuine ethos that I've come across. As a four-time founder over 18 grueling years, he has plenty of dirt and grit to share from his journey. After the sale of his fourth business last year, and while he currently interviews co-founders for business number five, he's been helping other founders understand the human side of business that most people just tend to neglect, including himself at his first company, which is what he's here to talk about with us today. So without further ado, Tobias Gunther. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine for me. And let's not cut right, this we're out. Cut it's this. wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> without further ado, Tobias Gunther, welcome to The Dirt. Thank you very much for that introduction, Jim. That's uh, something to live up to, and, uh, and I'm very curious about our conversation. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, you've given me plenty to look up to, so glad I could <laughs> give you a little something as well. You've done some really awesome stuff. Am I just like starting with the basics? Four companies, long journey, right? 18 years plus. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, sure. I, I started out almost 20 years ago now, um, building a service business. So uh, a pretty simple business. I, I started on my own and then uh, worked on, on company websites, uh, a classic uh, web agency, if you will, and, and started to grow that into a bigger and bigger company. In the end, we were still a small company, 10 people, um, but we had top clients in, in, in Germany mostly and a lot of fun. But that's I think that's a first <laughs> the first interesting point in my career in my path. I'm sometimes a little a slow learner, if you will, <laughs> because I, it took me eight years or six years in that case to realize that client work wasn't what I wanted to do, right? We, we, we had top clients and, and a good business, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So that's the the first, I think, important point in my career where I learned more about myself, you could say. And um, I did the second company for another 11 years. You know, that brings us to all the way to 2021 in that case, where I sold that. That's a, the, the short version. And in that, in those 11 years, I started another two companies that were not profitable, that were not successful, that failed from the start, from the get-go. So I have four companies, two uh, horrible failures, one that was at least profitable, a service business, and the last one, or the the, the second one, uh, depends on how you look at it, that was really profitable. Um, and I was able to successfully sell that. But if we dig into that, that 
those 11 years were also not just uh, roses and sunshine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the dirt, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that term, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about some of those failures. What What specifically were some of the hardest obstacles to overcome and, and some of the differences between the ones that worked out and the ones that didn't? Yeah. I think the biggest lesson that I learned, and I had to learn it twice, I said I'm a slow learner sometimes, <laughs> is uh, that if you're actively in a business, if you're operating the business, not if you're an investor so much, but if you're actively involved in a business, you need to have full focus on that business. Side projects, mm, very tricky thing. On the one hand, wonderful. We, I think we have to try out new things. But really starting a business with multiple people, a complex topic maybe, a difficult market, a new product development, you can't do that just on the side. It's really hard. You have to find that point. Um, you can do that for some time, for a limited time, but then there comes the point in time where you have to actively say yes to one thing and no to the other things. And in those two cases, I didn't do that. I, I thought I could run a... 10 people business, which was very demanding, difficult market, um, and still lots of things to do, lots of dirt on my hands, if you will, and and thought I could, well, somehow do another business on the side, a, a big one, of course, not, not, not something small. And I had to learn that over and over again. And it's 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 so tricky because I'm a bootstrapper by by nature. I, I refuse to take venture capital um, to to uh, the advantage and the disadvantages, of course, also. Um, but if you want to play it like that, if you want to bootstrap and, and do it with your own hands, then you need at least to have focus. And on the other hand, you have a cash flow problem, of course. So there has to be another side to that. And that's, I think, the, the difficult thing to balance. You need some income stream to finance yourself. And on the other hand, you also need the focus. So that's yeah. that's a, a pretty difficult conundrum you have to solve there. And uh, twice, I didn't. And one time, I did. Yeah, it sounds so simple, but it's mm -hmm. terribly complex, right? <laughs> As yeah. most simple things are. The comment that you made around venture capital, you know, oftentimes so many founders see it as this, you know, shiny object as the as the path towards becoming a billion dollar company and as the the dream, right? Getting venture mm -hmm. capital money and growing into a unicorn. You mentioned that there's downsides to it as well, mm -hmm. right? Talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, that's a good question. And I I, I noticed the the statement as I said it is a little bit difficult. So I think the most important thing is to know yourself, to know what kind of person are you, what kind of entrepreneur are you. And in my case, I'm incredibly stubborn. You can you can ask friends and, and co-founders in that I want the, the maximum amount of freedom. Um, I want the, the maximum amount of, of creative leeway. I want to determine what I work on, who I work with, how I work, how much I work, and not because I want to work 
not much. I want to work <laughs> quite a lot, but I want to be able to to determine that to make those decisions myself. And I think that that makes me pretty incompatible with uh, outside funding. And not because the, the the system is 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 stupid, just because you are getting somebody on board who should help you build that business, right? And they should help you make some decisions and and, and steer the ship. Um, but in my case. I want to have full control over every little detail, and that's I think the problem. And I it took me quite some time to to understand myself in in that regard. And I think if you're not that special in that regard as I am, I think venture capital can have lots of benefits, and it can be wonderful. And depending on the on the idea you want to build, there might be no way around venture capital, right? Because because you just can't do it on your own. You can't just bootstrap a, a huge multi million billion dollar business from from the ground up. But if you know yourself, and if you know what you want in life and in entrepreneurship this might not be the best path for you. And it, it, it wasn't, and it isn't for me. Yeah. And, and speaking as someone who's been a part of building and growing a, a venture capital firm, I, I get that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, at Orchid Black, we don't typically work with VC-backed companies because it's another personality at the table. Mm -hmm. um, it's another agenda at the table, right? Um, and And ultimately, you know, there's got to be a decision around what that means for a founder in in who they want on their team, how they're going to be able to listen and who they want to share authority with. And all great, all great points. Yeah. Did you see that out of curiosity in, in your work and in your network and, and working with founders? Do you see a, a personality difference, something like like what I described or is that? more of a project to project difference or do you see it also in in the personality of different entrepreneurs and founders i think it's both if there isn't a solid standing of what advice you as an entrepreneur as a founder are going to take versus where you're going to listen and be patient listening and then ultimately not necessarily do that venture capital can be a entire waste of time because mm -hmm. you no, need to know what to listen to because investors are not always operators. Investors are not always right. And just like having advisors around the table, you really need to understand how to take that advice and inform an opinion rather than just go do something. And traditional VCs oftentimes are very firm and act in their in their advice, in their counsel yeah. <laughs> that they they are right. And that's just not always the case. It's got to be a strong founder that is able to take in advice and ultimately disseminate the information in the right way. Yeah, that's a good point. Makes it makes it also a little bit more, even more difficult for for first time founders, younger founders oh, who terrible. don't have that experience who, and who have no way of deciding is that the right kind of advice or is it not. So it makes it even more and more tricky. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really easy for people who have been lifelong investors to advise on how to operate but when you're not exposed to it or you're or or that was a you know decade or however long ago it was things mm -hmm. change right mm -hmm. some of the things that you talk about in culture remote work these are things that 10 years ago didn't have the same meaning as they do today oh yeah right? yeah yeah 
And so I'm curious, you know, speaking kind of you know, as to someone who's been through this in a number of decades, when you hear those words, culture, remote work, what does that, what does that actually mean to you? What do those terms yeah. mean to you? Yeah, good question. Especially in, in terms of culture, the, 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 the term is so undefined, actually. Everybody understands something else uh, uh, when they hear that term. Yeah. Mm, so for me, the definition or the best definition that I work with is uh, how we want to treat each other how we want to work with with each other but also how we want to treat each other as humans i think that is the 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 defining uh, aspect of of culture if you if you limit it to values mission principles and vision which is all fine don't get me wrong that's that's all that's all necessary and and valuable but if there's not the underlying foundation of how do we want to work with each other every day how do we want to communicate what kind of relationships do we want to build with each other then i think that's that's pretty empty and then it, it doesn't mean anything I, I can remember distinctly going through all of that and then and uh, we started pretty early in 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 that second company uh doing a a values workshop and it, it was it was great we we wrote together a couple of, of of strong terms and and idealistic sentences and they all landed on a poster and i'm pointing to the wall right next to me here <laughs> and, and it was sitting there and it, and it was the thing it is everything was right on that poster it's it's everything was made total sense but and that's that's why i'm mentioning it we didn't have the the underlying skills to make that a reality so we weren't able to communicate as deeply as we we should have been relationship building wasn't top of mind all of those ground rules that groundwork wasn't wasn't being done and that's when lofty things like like values and, and and mission principles just don't serve you. So I'm 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 always trying to go deeper and, and work on the basic layer and and work on relationships and, and communication. That's that's for me is the basics or the basis of of a good culture. Everything else comes comes later. Yeah. When you um, started your first company or, or really any of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, talk about a little like what changed in your mindset right um to get you to that point around culture because i know you probably didn't start there on day one right <laughs> what 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 did you go through that that led you to you know that really deep informed position yeah your hunch is absolutely right <laughs> i'm afraid to say so so where should we start for a very long time managing my teams felt like a like a gigantic struggle it was so exhausting and it felt like everything depended on me i was responsible for everything i think that is a a pretty common uh, feeling for for many entrepreneurs if you want to look at it from a different side i'd have to admit that i was micromanaging people because i was insecure i wasn't sure uh, i wasn't trusting enough uh, and, and the thing is i was pretty sure it wasn't the fault of my team I, I hired capable, clever, kind people. That was not the problem. So I knew it was somewhere uh, in myself. And I think the the big change event for me then, in addition to that realization, was a burnout. I really, I, I had the full Monty, including five weeks of, of rehab. It really knocked me out. Um, that was 2014, quite some while ago. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, 
<laughs> how can I say that? The signs were pretty clear that something wasn't going right, right? <laughs> uh, and what I learned in the, in the years uh, after that was, uh, for one, a healthy detachment, a healthy detachment from my company, not a complete detachment, but a healthy one. The brutal realization that I had to change things in my life and my approach to to leadership. And I, I read a ton of books. I attended courses. I, I even became a certified meditation teacher, a mindfulness teacher. Wow. Uh, that was more on the personal side. But it, all of that changed how I approached leadership, how I, let's go back to that, that term that I used earlier, to how I treated people, right? And the, the results were were pretty quickly the team was much happier i was able to not micromanage anymore people were allowed to grow and and take on responsibility and the thing is things got easier for myself i i was i was getting rid of a lot of the the natural or the the, the usual drama that occurs in 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 uh in companies and that felt so relieving so good yeah yeah i can imagine I mean, that's uh -huh. everything gets easier, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, it's kind of crazy to think about. And it doesn't just apply to tech startups either. Right? It kind of just applies to general life. But when you give people a problem to solve and the tools to solve it, right? You can't just you know, throw whatever you want at them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really awesome to see the way that people can develop and and how much easier that gets on you. Because, you know, you hired people for a reason. So let them show you why you hired them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not that yeah. novel, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That That's so true. And I think it, it the lesson for me, and then I, I see that in when I mentor or, or coach other founders, we have to take, take a step back and, and think very carefully if it's all the employee's fault. There's, there's always, we're always in it together, of course, but for, for that to be true, to be, to be the employee's fault in, in, in total, I would have had to, to make every mistake by the book when it comes to hiring. And I don't believe that I, in, in many cases, I think I have hired capable and, 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 and clever people. So what's my contribution there? What can I change in, in my approach to leadership and to, to dealing with, with uh, situations and treating people that makes it makes life easier for both of us. And I think that was the, the, the crucial realization for me. I, I make life easier for myself and I allow other people to have more fun and to grow and to take on responsibility. That's a that's a classic win-win. Yeah. And forming a healthy, I'll call it detachment, right? Mm -hmm. From the company is is hard and takes, you know, the right talent around you, but is so important. And it avoids things like having to break down. <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, in some cases, like I know you had a situation like that where you ended up having to go to rehab it got so bad yeah right do you mind just talk a little bit about that this this stuff that we just don't talk about normally my pleasure in in some way <laughs> so uh I, I should lead in uh saying that i can't give medical advice to anybody who's listening right now <laughs> but <laughs> but that out of the way i think 
it's always a mixture. I think it's it's rarely that there's just too much work hours. That's rarely the case. We can we can we can take a lot of work if it's fulfilling, if it's the right kind of stress, I would say, or pressure or or demand, let's say like that. But there's always something else on 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 top. And for me it was um and it's not always just work related. So for me it was general health problems that had plagued me for a long time and that were growing. So that that was one side of the equation. And the other side was, as I described, that I I didn't have the right perspective on leadership and on my team and and how to how to run a company in a way that I won't be running to the ground at the same time. So I think it's always a combination. You have to really look carefully what that combination is. It's never too much. It's rarely, I shouldn't say never, it's rarely too much working hours, but it's always something else. It's it's problems in your in your partnership, maybe, uh, problems at home, uh, problems with your co-founders, or as I said in my case, the wrong approach to leadership and, and entrepreneurship in general. That, that couldn't, that just couldn't work out. And things really only got better once A, I I really took the time time off. I think it's it's rarely that you hear at at a certain point when when the stress has really built up that you just get away with a weekend spa. You really have to 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 unplug for a couple of weeks mostly. Maybe even seek out therapy or, or other assistance. <laughs> so you really have to go the the full way and I think, yeah, get a different perspective on things. And that takes time, of course. I think the 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 one thing that made me a better entrepreneur, most of all, and a better human, is that I grew personally over those 18 years, that I that I am much more self-reflected than early in my career. And every time I, I hit a, a bump in the road, I learned something about myself. And that made the whole journey more fun for myself. It made it more fun for other people. I, I could better decide this is for me, this is not for me. And that is tremendously helpful. So if this is, I, I'm not in a position to give advice, but the one thing I learned is personal growth, self-reflection, and success as an entrepreneur are intricately connected, really closely connected. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 deliberately doing all of that, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's culture in general, but especially remote culture just needs to be so deliberate. And you had some really interesting perspectives there that you've had to evolve. Do you mind just talking to me a little bit about some of the work that you're doing now with other founders, creating programs that are helping to make not only the business more successful and sustainable, but but also the the human being <laughs> on the other <laughs> side, other founders taking some of what you've what you've learned about culture and remote work and these things and yeah. teaching it to others. Yeah, sure, sure. Pleasure. Um, until I have enough energy to start something new, <laughs> I, I I took on another project, and that is exactly what you describe. I I help Funny other founders. Works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you recharge the batteries and then and then uh, get get on the horse again. Help other founders build, uh, let's say, a people first company culture, 
because uh, when it comes to culture, as we've talked a little bit about it, it's so fuzzy. It's so d- difficult. Where do you start? And if I think back at, at my own path, uh, there was a point where I knew, okay, I, I want to do more culture. I want to develop culture. But how the hell do I do that? Uh, if you if you look behind me, there's, there's the whole library is full of those books, but none of them teaches you how to actually do it, right? Yeah. And especially with a topic like like culture, it is so sensitive, right? It's it's really tricky. You don't know what happens if you touch that spot or that. Should you start here or here? Is that too early or too late? So I, that's what I've been working on in the last couple of months to to find a repeatable process or a program uh, with fixed modules actually that help you go that path from step one to two to three to four and four is at position four because you need three and two before of that it doesn't work if you just do relationship work or i think a a good example was what i said before you can't just start with values and mission principles if people don't have a relationship with each other if they can't communicate in a in a good positive way with each other all of that has to 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 be built first or another example uh, in that in that program number 11 close to the end is feedback you can't start with feedback if there's no relationship if there's no trust before that because things will start to explode yeah. and that's that's the thing that i want to help founders with to build a people first uh, culture that gives you a more resilient team on the one hand and of course, on the other hand, also a more productive team. I, I love that these things go hand in hand. There's lots of studies. I think Harvard did a wonderful study a couple of years ago. They accompanied, I think, 200 companies, if I'm right, uh, over 10 years. And they looked at the, the difference in, in their financial success at the end. And those that had seriously invested in, into culture, whatever that means and to, to whatever extent, but seriously invested in, in that area, they had, I think, close to 800% higher bottom line. And I, that, that wow. I find so motivating. So you have a chance of, of, of combining what is good for people and yourself. You're also a person and for the business. And that I, I, I love that. You yeah. don't have to do it all of the bottom of good of your heart, but you can also make the company better. And I think that's a wonderful combination. What's one time where you had to learn some of that the hard way? Like, and I know you've already given a few examples and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, uh, war stories, if you will, <laughs> but yeah. what's, What's one example from when you believe that culture was soft and had little bearing on the bottom line? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me think. That there are a couple of examples that I'm thinking thinking of now. Let's let's pick communication. I think again. So um, uh, again, I'm a slow learner, and I make the same mistake twice or three times before I really get it. In this in this case too. I had a couple of difficult one-on-ones with employees in the past, just two or three, not not too many. But always the problem was that I was entering the conversation thinking I knew all about the situation. 
And that's bad enough. I think people quickly understand that, but it's so hard to to understand what you're doing there that that this is a mistake because you're mm-hmm. you're convinced you know what was happening. And we're talking, of course, about a problem, about a mistake. Um, and not only did I think I knew the situation, I also thought I knew the intention behind that situation. So I thought that that person or that person did it because. And I'll fill in the blanks. They are lazy or they just didn't care or they forgot again. But again and again, I learned that I was wrong, that there was a different reason for those things. Doesn't mean that the the problem must have happened. There would be other solutions to that. That's still the, the situation is still the same. But rushing to conclusions, rushing or assuming intention, I've made that mistakes so many times and getting back to the bottom line sometimes you you destroy relationships with key employees yeah. and that is the the most serious implication on your bottom line that you can have i was always uh, able to repair that those situations sometimes by plainly apologizing sometimes by finding a way and 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 seeing how we both contributed to the to the problem but it's it's always the same actually and uh it's so tricky. It's it's incredibly tricky. And I don't say I have it all figured out in, in no way, but I'm starting to get better at it. Yeah, I mean, 1% better each day. That's all we can that's all we can do at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You also have mentioned to me how hard things were to trust the team, right? Not just the side of you know, you got to do that before you can get the most out of them, but also just how hard it was as an entrepreneur to really adopt the philosophy of trust in the team from doing it all yourself or with founders to co-founders to then, you know, trusting that the team will take care of things. Talk to me a little bit about that. I think it it goes back to if you're a founder or a leader or a manager, I, I think you, you're incredibly motivated to to get the best out of a situation to get to do the best for your company and of course you are a smart person mm-hmm. in in most cases and you think you know how it should be done right and i think that's the first little problem because knowing thinking you know how it should be done is a recipe for micromanagement mm-hmm. you know? and that's the the opposite of trust so yes. if you will I think realizing that is is the first, uh, I don't know, antidote is a little bit too much, but the first step in the right direction to 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 understand that, or let, let me say it a different way, bringing humility into the equation, I think. Understanding and seriously understanding that you don't know everything and you're not always the smartest person in the room. If that were the case, again, you would have hired horribly if for every topic you would be the smartest person in the room then that's a problem and once you realize that hey i have i i have capable uh nice and clever colleagues then i can let go because they are capable and 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 clever colleagues so i can trust and and see what happens and i think it's it's a learning process for both sides many people are not used to working in that way they're not used to not being micromanaged. Uh, Some people have different experiences and and God bless, but uh, a lot of people come out of a situation where they were micromanaged and they're still smart. They're still capable people, but it takes some time to get used to that and to really trust that trust 
that you're given, right? So it's it really takes some time, some getting used to understanding uh, on the leadership side that there is a lot of potential. There's a lot of brains in 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 the room, and, and you are not always the the best person to to give the answers. And and not only does that produce better results, but it takes the pressure off of you. It takes so much pressure off of you because you, well, you can let go and say, well, okay, I, you're, you're the you're the expert on this topic. What do you think? And, okay, let's see if, if that's your opinion. Let's try it like that. And um, more often than not, you will you will be surprised and, and think, well, that's a good outcome that that came out of it. Yeah, well said. Well said. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> The uh, the, there's just, there was this one comment that you made to me. Let me see if I could think of it. Um, connected to remote work. Um, mm-hmm. remote work is a combustion agent. What does that mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for remembering that. Yeah. So when I when I sold my last company, a couple of, of entrepreneur friends came to me and, and said, "Well, you you've worked extensively with company culture. Can you help us?" And there were others that said, well, we are, I know you've, you've worked remotely for 11 years. Can you help us build remote culture? Because I think this whole remote thing doesn't work for us. Okay, so let's take a look. And in, in all of the cases, we found out you don't have a remote problem. You have a culture problem. And that, and that goes back to that expression that you kindly reminded me of, uh, combustion agent. Remote just... It acts as a, a combustion agent for the other problems that you have in your culture and that are unsolved. It makes them more obvious. And in that perspective, I think I see remote work as a gift because it it, it points the finger at the problems that you have and you get a chance to really uh, solve them to take time and, and solve them. Yeah. Many many companies that that don't work in a remote setting, they get by with not really working on their culture. Something something um, comes up if you have a uh, a shared kitchen and if you share lunches and and the occasional after work beer. Some kind of culture comes up. But is it the culture you want to have? I don't think so. So remote work really forces you to get much more intentional about culture. About and I like that that phrasing. I it it forces you to build culture. I like that phrasing because it it makes clear that you can do that. You can actively shape culture. It's not something mystical, mysterious that I don't know how it happens. You can really work on that. It takes a lot of work, of course, that's that's true. But I'm so happy. If, if we hadn't made the switch to remote work at, at one point, I am so sure that our culture wouldn't have been nearly as good as it was being a remote team. We had a better culture being a remote team than we had as a co-located team, hands down. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that term combustion agent in the sense of remote work because it does force you to to get intentional. It does force yeah. you to to make sure that you're you know putting culture at the forefront of strategy, right? Yeah. That's terrific. You've given so much already to our audience, Tobias, but I got I got one more quick hit list for you. Uh, I know you've listened to some of our episodes in the past, but we go mm-hmm. through this founder five towards the end of every episode five quick hit quick hit questions to yeah. to chat through. So the the first one 
is the number one metric or KPI that you're relentlessly focused on? Yeah, I think it's it's relationships actually. And some people would would raise their brows, is this a KPI? And it's hard to measure, of course, definitely. But if we go back in our conversation, I think it it, it became clear that relationships have a huge impact on the bottom line, on how long people stay in, in, in the company, on what they're willing to, to deliver and, and their commitment. So um, keeping relationships and the quality and, and the number of relationships in a team um, uh, top of mind, I think is a, is a great KPI. That's great. The uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Mm. I think also going back to to early in the conversation, taking taking time to make personal growth uh, intentional or not in personal growth is is such a a wide field, but really self reflecting, getting getting to know yourself a little bit better, your quirks and your strengths and your weaknesses and and the. I mean, it's about shaping shaping your life, right? Entrepreneurship is is so much freedom, but you can you can also have the blinders on for 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 ten years and and then wake up and and see, oh damn, was this where I wanted to go? And I I would hope that everybody avoids that self reflection. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lessons mm-hmm. learned there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a favorite book or podcast, or really whatever medium you choose, that's helped you grow as a founder. Yeah, I remember reading back in the day, um, "Reinventing Organizations" by Frederick mm. Laloux, which is, I think, is a classic by now. Uh, it's, it's on the one hand, it's one of those books that that does don't teach you how to do it, but they whet your appetite for changing things and for for shaping culture in such a way that you 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 really get nervous and restless after you've put down the book and i think that's that's the kind of energy you need to get started so reinventing organizations is a great read that is a great read yeah. and well said on the it doesn't tell you how to do it but it does give you a lot of really great things to think about because mm-hmm. both types of books are necessary right yeah, yeah. so that's 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 incredibly important mm-hmm. Okay, here's a fun one. So what actor would play you in a movie? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to giggle at this one. So those few people that that uh, listen to our conversation uh, on YouTube and, and in video, some people told me I have a resemblance to Christian Bale, which I'm very flattered to hear. I don't see it, but why you ask me who would play me? So I'll pick Christian Bale. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Batman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And finally, when all is said and done, what is going to be the title of your autobiography? Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll pick something uh, aspiring uh, that I have to live up to. Um, I, I would want that book to to be titled the the human founder or the human entrepreneur, if you if you will. I think that that has a lot of room to grow for myself, but also the the aspiration that I that I want to uh, go towards. Yeah. I love that, Tobias. That's that's great. You've given so much to our listeners today, and at this time, I just you know want to allow for any any bit of self promotion that those listening can give back to you because I'm sure they uh, are eager to do so after all of your great thoughts so far. So, how can those listening help you out? Yeah, thanks, Jim. That's so kind. At the moment, I think the best way is. I don't know, to to get in touch with me, maybe to, if you're interested, to follow my work and my thoughts, because I'm I'm trying hard to 
yeah, to talk about that human side of business, whatever we understand by that. But I think there's a shortage of that in the, uh, in air quotes, market. So www.tobias.co, tobias.co is my personal website that links to my Twitter, which isn't uh, too noisy at the moment. LinkedIn is a better place for me, but all of the links are, are there and there. I think I have... I think I have two uh, free guides there, one about remote work and one about culture, actually, both free. So that might be a, a good a good way to get started. After you've, you've read uh, Reinventing Organizations, you want to know how to do it. And <laughs> that could be the, the first step. I don't know. Yeah. Love it. Step one, read Reinventing Organizations. Step two, get with Tobias. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, Tobias, just closing us off here. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Mm -hmm. I think, again, Tobias.co has all the, the necessary links. Okay. And probably probably LinkedIn is a good place. DMs are open. You say that on Twitter, but it's it's true for LinkedIn also. So I think everybody says that, but I, I really appreciate if people get in touch and, and, and strike up a conversation about these topics. So don't be shy. Uh, email me t at tobias.co or go on the website and and then uh, go over LinkedIn and I'm I'm happy to to get in touch and to have a conversation. Perfect. This has been an absolute pleasure as always, Tobias. And thanks for joining me on the dirt. Thank you for my, for having me, Jim. Thanks. Absolutely. Take care. If you loved today's episode of the Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.